Podcast Network. Frederick Dard famously said, A smart man is nothing but a failed idiot. Frederick Dard had never been to Washington or spent time on Facebook or Twitter, where we have more failed idiots than even Mark Twain could make sport of. And I wouldn't call any of them smart. Confused yet? Good. Here's someone to make sense of the madness. His name is Dan Newman. And just when we think we've got the madness figured out, more madness enters our lives, and it's sent out across the nation every week, every day, from Washington, D.C. Have you noticed how much comes out of D.C., things they do, things they announce, and they don't give us any background, any history, any justification for these big, and they're always very expensive things the government's going to do in the name of what's best for the people. And they spend trillions of dollars that we don't have doing these things that we don't necessarily need and the American people don't necessarily want. But if you're a bureaucrat in D.C., you're going to be doing a lot of things all the time, 24-7. Why is that? Because it's quid pro quo in Washington, D.C. When you are campaigning for your office, it doesn't matter what office you are, uh, House of Representatives, U.S. Senate, uh, President of the United States, it doesn't matter which. You've got to get a bunch of money put together in campaign contributions. And very seldom, it's sad to say, but very seldom are there many people out there that are just willing to write a check just because you're a nice guy or a nice girl. That's not what D.C. is all about. It's about political partisanship. It's about you get yours, I'll get mine, and when I get mine, if you'll put me in a position of power, I'll help you get yours and even get more when you get yours. Quid pro quo. Well, hello, everybody. I hope you had a good weekend. I didn't mean to start Monday morning on a down note. Well, actually, I did. <laughs> you you had a little respite from all kind of things, bad things, negative things during the weekend, I hope, and you just spent time with family and friends doing things you enjoy. That's what weekends are all about. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we work our butts off and we are stressful and everything's going around us and we've got to keep all those plates spinning in the air. And then we get to the weekend and it's like, it's one big sigh. <sighs> Let's just take it easy this weekend. Have you been there le- lately? <laughs> I have. This weekend, last weekend, the weekend before. It just seems like there's very little let up, doesn't it? Well, if you're listening today, you're one of those people that pretty much has figured it out. There are things that you can worry about that you can fix. And then there are things that you worry about that you don't have the answers for. Those are the bad ones. The ones that you know you've got a solution, maybe somewhere, you just got to get your hands on it. Those are okay. It's those ones that just keep hanging up there, unfinished, unfinishable. We don't have the stuff, the necessary whatever it is to finish them. Those are the ones that drive us crazy. My mother taught me something years and years and years ago. She told me, she said, don't waste time fretting about something that you can't change. 
There are some things in your lives, folks, that are just going to be there, and especially those that involve other people with whom you interact. Some of those people you can influence in major ways, like your kids, maybe your spouse, but there are others out there. OMG, they may be a major part of your life, but you cannot change anything about that person or situations. Look at the same way. Don't worry about anything that you can't change. It doesn't do you any good. There's no good at the end of the rainbow, no golden pot. If it gets fixed, those things that you have no say-so over, they just got fixed and be happy about that. But if they don't, find a way. Act like an ant. Have you ever watched those very aggressive ants? Even the little bitty ones. Man, they get on task and they're strung out across your driveway or on your patio and maybe one little chunk of barbecue fell off a plate over the weekend. And they've got a line of ants that are going and picking up little pieces of barbecue and taking it back to their nest. You can put something between the line, you know, where they're, where they're going, you just cut the line in half, maybe a piece of cardboard that's sticking down vertically. Vertically. And those ants, it doesn't take very long before they figure out, you know what, I'll just change direction and I'll walk to the end of the piece of cardboard and around to the other side back to where I was earlier. They've got this stuff figured out. I guess it's just perseverance. If it's got to be done, you got to do it. And sometimes you just got to keep on trucking without having all the answers. But keep on trucking. It's all going to be okay. You're going to have a good week this week. I predict... This week is going to be very good for you. Well, our weekend was jam-packed full of things. And there's no way you or I, the one, could get them all collectively and put them together. But there are some of those things that you probably missed. And somebody that was at the center of pretty much everything this weekend, conversation, etc., our Secretary of Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, he... um, He made several appearances over the weekend, the Sunday morning talk shows, and he made some statements. And of course, the big thing, you know this, the big thing that is the 900-pound gorilla in the room actually has been is a woman named Nina or Nina. I don't, either way, I guess. Jankowitz is her last name. She has been appointed as the head of the Biden administration's disinformation governance board. Hmm, what could that possibly be? I know you've heard about it. You've heard her TikTok songs that she does. Uh, But she's got everybody in D.C. in a tailspin, and justifiably so. I want to wade right into it. Her now boss, and I think maybe he was her boss already, Alejandro Mayorkas, um, he had to come out and do some cleaning up over the weekend because of all the the stuff that was being said by anybody and by everybody about her and about this whole situation. She's 33 years old, and the way you think she would be, she would be a seasoned veteran because she's been around Washington, D.C. for some time. But anyway, she's tearing everybody up, and this new 
division, whether you call it the ministry of truth or the ministry of disinformation or whatever it is. It's got people singing a song because it has to do with, you know what? Free speech. Free speech. Elon Musk started this conversation in, I mean, it just went to epic proportions and it's still up there. Free speech, free speech. And I don't think it's an accident they announced this ministry of disinformation when they did. It's not by accident. They basically sent a message to Elon Musk and other free speechers that are getting very aggressive about protecting the First Amendment, basically saying, we're drawing the line in the sand. We're in power here. We don't care what you do, what kind of uh, program you put together, buying social media platforms like Elon Musk is doing, We don't care about that. We will come for you and we'll call it disinformation and we're in power, so you're going to pay the price. We're going to hear from um, the secretary himself in just a few moments. But first, I wanted you to hear from Friday on Fox News. You probably missed this. I did over the weekend. A little back and forth on uh, Dagan's show. And uh, they're talking about Ms. Jankovitz, in this whole process. Moving on to new criticism of the Biden administration's so-called disinformation board, Senator Tom Cotton tweeting, the federal government has no business creating a ministry of truth. Senator Marco Rubio, nothing else we are working on will matter if we don't put an end to Biden's ministry of truth. Senator Marsha Blackburn, this goes against everything our country stands for. And we're learning more about the new disinformation czarina, Nina Jankovitz, who apparently spends a great deal of her time creating TikTok jingles. Information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. Jimmy Fallon, this <laughs> chick is so absurd that it almost seems like this is some sort of ruse or red herring <laughs> to prevent us from talking about everything else that's horrible going on in this country. Yo, she looks like she's auditioning for a reality show called America's Got Issues. <laughs> who, who let this insane person in front of a camera, let alone running a disinformation uh, board? I mean, what's next? Are we going to put Hunter Biden in charge of the DEA? This woman is not qualified. This is bananas. And I just want to make sure that we make the point that when the Democrats say they're fighting disinformation, that's how they're spreading. It. Nina Jankowitz <laughs> did what? She said Hunter Biden was disinformation. We shouldn't be talking about this story. And this is why so many Republicans are outraged about the idea of this ministry of truth is because it's actually used to lie. Clever branding, but I don't think anybody's falling for it after that ridiculous video. We could go on and on with that interview, but you got the gist of it. I wanted to start there, but let me tell you a little bit about Nina Jankovic. She's 33 years old. Just some stuff from her public past. When the pandemic began two and a half years ago, she tweeted she hoped sites would stop promoting ads for masks, which at the time health officials said were unnecessary. In 2016, way back then, she tweeted 
that a Donald Trump presidency would embolden ISIS, even though ISIS fell under his administration. And obviously, if ISIS is a problem, the president of the United States, any president, is going to take care of it. She expressed her support for Christopher Steele. Remember him? His infamous Russian dossier was later discredited. It basically started the Russia collusion investigation. Jankovitz also found herself under fire for some old videos of her singing about people not taking the pandemic seriously. You just heard one of them. In another, she sings about misinformation. And in another, she praises Senator Elizabeth Warren. She's got a very speckled past. And she's been really consistent with one thing, spreading information herself. So, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas was on CNN over the weekend with Dana Bash. And Dana, to her credit, she jumped right in the middle of the Homeland Security Secretary. Let's talk about a a different topic, which is uh, what you are calling, your department is calling the Disinformation Governance Board. You unveiled that uh, this week. Republicans are calling it Orwellian and comparing it to the Ministry of Truth in the novel 1984. Can you clarify what exactly is this? What exactly will this Disinformation Governance Board do? Will it monitor American citizens? Dan, I'm very pleased to do so. It's clear. I mean, those criticisms are precisely the opposite of what this small working group within the Department of Homeland Security uh, will do. And um, I think we probably could have done a better job of communicating what it does and does not do. So The, the fact is that disinformation that creates a threat to the security of the homeland is our responsibility to address. And this department has been addressing it for years, throughout the years of the prior administration and an ongoing basis. Disinformation from Russia, China, We know the problems, but it's still not clear to me how this governance board will act. What, What will it do? So what it does is it works to ensure that the way in which we address threats, the connectivity between threats and acts of violence are addressed without infringing on free speech, protecting civil rights and civil liberties, the right of privacy. And the board, this working group, internal working group, will draw from best practices and communicate those best practices to the operators because the board does not have operational authority. Will American citizens be monitored? No. Guarantee that. So what we do, we, we in the Department of Homeland Security don't monitor Uh, American citizens. You don't, but will this board change that? No, no, no. The board does not have any operational authority or capability. What it will do is gather together best practices in addressing the threat of disinformation from foreign state adversaries, from the cartels, and disseminate those best practices to the operators that have been executing in addressing this threat for years. Republicans are criticizing your decision, the administration's decision to choose Nina Jankowitz to lead this disinformation board. They say she is not somebody who is neutral. Your response? Eminently qualified, a renowned expert in the field of disinformation. Absolutely so. 
Would you be okay if Donald Trump were president, if he created this disinformation board, governance board, or if it is in place and he wins again in 2024, that he's in charge of such a thing? I believe that this working group that gathers together, gathers together best practices, makes sure that our, our work is coordinated, consistent with those best practices, that we're safeguarding the right of free speech, that we're safeguarding civil liberties, I think is an extraordinarily important endeavor. Before I let you go, I'm sure you uh, have heard that Kevin McCarthy, now the Republican leader who hopes to be speaker if Republicans take over in November, uh, will consider impeaching you. Your response? I am incredibly proud uh, to work with 250,000 dedicated and talented personnel, and I look forward to continuing to do so. Hmm. Hmm. That's one of those things that just makes you want to go, hmm. So, I want everybody in our audience this morning, look at your computer screen. Listen closely. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want every one of you to respond. Do you believe, and remember who we're talking about here, Alejandro Mayorkas. Do you believe anything that he says do you? Do you believe what you just heard him say? This new disinformation agency, which, you know, we, we've been doing this all along. This is not new. We're just now getting some uh, exposure with it. But even under the last administration, that administration was monitoring disinformation. Dana Bash, well, you know, what are you going to do with all that? Oh, you know, uh, we don't we don't get after. We're going to protect free speech. We don't have any operational control. Why would we have any agency in the federal government that didn't have some type of operational control in their particular area that they're working in? If you believed Alejandro Mayorkas you just heard him say. I want you to raise your hand right now. Hmm. I don't see any hands going on. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Based on his track record as Secretary of Homeland Security, do you have one shred of confidence that he's going to do the right thing about anything? Tell me one thing that he's done. It's right. He can't stand the Constitution. He can't stand the rule of law. He basically ignores every one of the members of the United States Congress and the president. Those are the people that put a plethora of federal laws in place, and the president signed those laws, and the executive branch, which Alejandro Mayorkas is a part of, they're supposed to enforce laws. Do you see or hear Alejandro Mayorkas enforcing laws? Exactly opposite. Not only does he not enforce laws, he takes pride in breaking federal laws every day and makes it very clear. He wants more immigrants coming into the nation. And this new pick for this agency, do you think her hands are clean? Quote, I do not think government should be in that business, 
policing disinformation online. Guess who said that? I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it. I do not think government should be in that business policing disinformation online. That was Nina Jankovitz. I can't even pronounce it. She said that in testimony before the House Intelligence Committee. She was questioned by Jim Himes, a Democrat from Connecticut, who said that his experience growing up in some tyrannical countries in Latin America where he was raised had made him violently allergic to governments that claimed to be regulating the flow of information. Here's what he said. We start going down that path. We're not just breaking democracy. We're breaking classical enlightened liberalism. And he said he believed that it was pretty lame that government appeared to be outsourcing the effort to deal with disinformation to Silicon Valley tech companies. And he challenged Jankovitz again. I actually want to see the evidence that people are seeing this information and are in a meaningful way, in a material way, dismantling our democracy through violence or through political organizations. He's speaking about the targets of this disinformation stuff that uh, this entity is going to do. He noted there were examples of Democrats using disinformation, like then-President Barack Obama. He reminded her and us that Obama said if people wanted to keep their private insurance plan, they could do it. You remember that? That turned out not to be true. So he asked whether social media companies should, because of Barack Obama and what he said, which was a lie, should the former president be blamed, uh, whatever they're going to do to people that break a promise to the voters. Jankovic replied, I totally understand your aversion to the idea the government would fight back against disinformation. In fact, the use of that term has been basically the foundation to some very draconian fake news laws in place like Russia or even Singapore. I don't think government should be in that business either. So, the congressman asked about disinformation leading to violence. Well, she brought up two very familiar Democrat Party talking points. One, that kidnapping plot. You remember that against Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer? Jankovic claimed that social media played a huge role in allowing that group to organize. (laughs) Now, she's talking about something she either knew and was fooled like so many people were regarding that kidnapping plot, or she knew what was going on all along and playing the company line because that was a setup. It was a sham. The FBI set it up themselves and planted agents that were part of that trial. That trial actually was two, remember, of those alleged kidnappers. It ended in two acquittals, two hung juries just last month. Why did that happen? Evidence came up. You know, that thing makes a big difference. Evidence came up that it was an entrapment plot by the FBI. At the time, candidate Joe Biden falsely blamed President Trump for the plot, circulating disinformation that the kidnappers had been inspired by him 
to commit alleged acts of violence. Jankovic also cited some other claims. A British TV channel that Cambridge Analytica used data to selectively target black voters with voter suppression ads. Now those ads, there were some, weren't many, but there were some. They were negative about Hillary, designed to encourage black voters to stay home during the 2016 presidential election. But Jankovitz did not actually cite any disinformation in those ads. She just brought up that they were out there. So Representative Himes, he wasn't convinced yet. He wasn't very um, pleased with her responses to his questions. We've had misinformation and yellow journalism and terrible media and voter suppression forever, he said. So, it's a big deal, folks. It is a really big deal. And I don't think we're anywhere close to getting to the end of it. I really don't. In um, that same get-together, in discussions about Alejandro Mayorkas's head being the head of DHS and the problems that they faced, another member of the Congress had some very pointed things to say to the Homeland Security Secretary. Uh, Mr. Secretary, the New York State healthcare system was hit the earliest and hardest by COVID-19, which left a death toll of more than 67,000 New Yorkers and a cost of untold billions. COVID-19 has put unprecedented strain on the healthcare system and the delay in FEMA's COVID-19 reimbursement has only served to compound the crisis. FEMA owes New York State healthcare providers billions of dollars in reimbursements. Montefiore, which is the largest healthcare provider in the Bronx, is waiting for $31 million to be obligated by FEMA. On February 17, 2022, the entire congressional delegation of New York, both Democrats and Republicans, sent a bipartisan letter calling for a rapid distribution of FEMA public assistance program funds. The letter, which was signed by Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, was sent in mid-February. In the two months since then, there has been no response from FEMA. Mr. Secretary, can you see to it that that FEMA responds to our request as soon as possible? I most certainly will, Congressman. I should say that FEMA has done an extraordinary job in um, setting up vaccination centers throughout the country, including in your jurisdiction. I visited one of them, Medgar Evers, in Medgar Evers uh, College, uh, because such a, a tremendous focus on reaching otherwise disenfranchised communities and making vaccines accessible. The point of reimbursement is a very important one, and I will follow and, up on And I just want to quickly, um, just quickly on Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico saw a massive power outage that led to the loss of electricity for hundreds of thousands. And if the kind of repeat power failures in Puerto Rico were happening anywhere else in the United States, it would never be tolerated. And in my estimation, the chronic breakdown of the electric grid in Puerto Rico points to a broader breakdown of American democracy. Puerto Rico has long been relegated to the status of a colony, and Puerto Ricans on the islands have long been relegated to the status of second-class citizens who have been deprived of something as basic as reliable electricity. My question to you is, what role can DHS play in expediting the rebuilding of Puerto Rico's electric grid, which has become a national emergency? So, um, Mr. Pierre Luisi of Puerto Rico and I have discussed uh, one um, issue, specifically, Congressman, and that is um, Puerto Rico's need for additional labor. And so we're taking a look at the H-2B program and how that infusion of labor resources could actually assist Puerto Rico in rebuilding. We're also looking and exploring at other avenues to address the labor issues specifically. Have you noticed one commonality in every 
testimony that he gives when he's before either the House or the Senate, those committees, when he's asked a direct question that begs a direct answer, he never gives a direct answer. He circles, but he never gets to the heart of what the questioner had to ask him for, trying to sound like, you know, we've got it all going on. We've got it all together. This guy, if there's one person in our government that has not all of it together, but none of it together, absolutely, it's Homeland Security led by Alejandro Mayorkas. In this hearing this past week, Republican Colorado Representative Ken Buck, he told Mayorkas that his constituents in Colorado believe he's a traitor and he's deliberately trying to hurt the U.S. Many of my constituents have asked whether you'll be impeached when Republicans get control next year. They don't believe that you're committed a high crime. They don't believe you've committed a misdemeanor. My constituents want you impeached because they believe you've committed treason. They believe you're a traitor. They compare you to Benedict Arnold. But continued, Secretary Mayorkas, I was at an event this past weekend. A lady approached me and asked me if you felt any shame for what you've done to this country. My question for you is very simple. Would you please answer that lady's question? Are you ashamed of what you've done to this country? Mayorkas called Buck's comment profoundly offensive. Congressman, I have so much to say in response to what you've just said. It is so profoundly offensive on so many different levels in so many different regards. I won't ask you for an apology. Buck shot back immediately. Don't, Mayorkas. I won't. Let me share with you quite succinctly. I am incredibly proud of my service to this country. It is more than 20 years of service in the civilian corps, as a federal prosecutor, and as a member of the Department of Homeland Security. That's pretty common. Anytime he's confronted with facts that are negative, he never tries to negate the negative facts that are presented to him. He goes back in his circle mode. He talks about the fluffy things. He, he, he talked earlier in the week that the Biden administration has effectively managed the crisis, but he acknowledged the administration expects migration levels to increase once Title 42 is lifted. He announced the plan of the DHS to address the crisis and impending surge, which includes increasing personnel and transportation resources, medical support and facilities, enhancing processes efficiency, targeting drug smugglers, and deterring illegal migration. And by the way, he is, if the House takes back, the Republicans get the power there, take back the majority, Mayorkas will be impeached. I promise you. You just heard the little fuzzy things that he said are part of the plans when he was asked. Well, specifically, what are you going to do? I mean, we're talking about 18,000 people a day. Are you prepared for that? What are you doing to prepare for that? He never gives any detail of what they're doing. He just assures us. Well, I, I'll, I'll just quote this story. 
He announced the DHS plan to address the crisis and impending surge, which includes increasing personnel and transportation resources, medical support and facilities, enhancing processing efficiency, targeting drug smugglers, and deterring illegal migration. Those are all things he was supposed to be doing all along. He hadn't been doing it. Why isn't he fired for not doing his job? He doesn't have to be impeached. His boss, the guy that hired him, can fire him on the spots. Who would that be? Joe Biden. Why hasn't Mayorkas been fired? Well, based on the job that he is doing, Joe Biden and his fellow Democrats, especially the leaders in the House and the Senate, they're all tickled to death with what he's done, which is to do nothing. He hasn't done anything to target drug smugglers or to deter illegal migration. In fact, he's done exactly the opposite in both cases. What's sad to me, the saddest thing of all, is we're paying this guy a bunch of money. We knew what he was when he was asked to be the director of Homeland Security. We knew he was a hardcore open borders guy. So he's just doing what they hired him to do. And the saddest thing to me is that there is not some process in place that allows when one party controls both houses in Congress and the White House, there needs to be some way to interrupt that flow of the normal constitution. It's not constitutional, just the normal operation and flow of the House and the Senate so that the majority doesn't just push everything down the throats of the minority. The minority in Congress, they're supposed to represent the percentage of constituency to the various parties around the nation. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. But isn't racism, isn't that built on the fact when you come up with a plan to go after racism and try to eradicate it, you don't just plan to exterminate your opposing people. That's not the plan. The plan is to find a way to give both sides of every big discussion, give them equal time to make their plan, and try to convince people on the other side to convert to their side. That's the way it's been done since Congress was created. And it works pretty well unless the majority, as has happened in this administration, the majority has just kicked everybody with dissenting opinions to the curb. Republicans in the House can't even get a piece of legislation to the floor to discuss. Why is that? Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, she rules with an iron fist. She's doing things that have never been done in the history of the United States Congress. And at all, everything she does is to the benefit of the political partisanship of the Democrat Party because she's in total control. We talked to Mike Johnson, our congressman in the 4th District of Louisiana. He's on here quite regularly with us. He's as stymied about all of this as we are. And all he can do is say, 
We've got to win back the majority in the House. If we do, here's what we're going to do. Bam, 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 bam. But when you have no way to get anything to be discussed, with the exception of going to conservative media outlets like Truth News Network, Fox News, Newsmax, One America News, if that's the only way to get your message out, you don't have the big microphone that a Democrat or whoever's in the majority has right now. And so the people are not getting the whole story. And they're trying with this disinformation thing they're putting together. Actually, they've already put it together. You've got a a total sycophant at the top of it. And we'll have more about that later in the show. Nina Jankovitz. She would be, if not the very last person I would put in that position, she'd be in the bottom two because she is little more than a hardcore leftist and she's going to do everything she can, everything she can. We're going to move on. Time Magazine, where, where is Time? One of their writers came out over the weekend and just blew it up. And he went after Elon Musk with a vengeance. We've got that coming up. We also have a little DHS um, problem. You heard yourself, Mayorkas, talking about keeping Americans safe, getting the information, and making sure the information is handed out correctly, yada, 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 yada. Well, guess what happened over the weekend? Another biggie happening in Portland. Portland, Oregon, where have they been? Man, we used to have them on every show. Something big was happening up in Portland. But it all had to do with violence. Violence, night after night after night after night. And it wasn't Black Lives Matter that was doing it. It was Antifa, you know, those white thugs. Why didn't Alejandro Mayorkas stop that? Stop all that. After all, he tells us over and over again, his job is to make sure America is protected from disinformation outfits and organizations. Hadn't even used the word Antifa, but yet they were out this weekend. Nobody got killed, but another piece of Portland was tore up. Oh my gosh, and we still have this stinking war going on over there in Europe. But we all need to feel better because Nancy Pelosi went over on the weekend. Wow. And she actually met with Volodymyr Zelensky. Well, the White House said, we can't let Nancy get one up on us. So Jill's headed over there. (laughs) Jill Biden. Oh, my gosh. We've got all this and a whole lot more. Sit tight. We may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by 2 
two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner buy two get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. You know, in this disinformation war that we've, we all find ourselves in, there's no way around it. We're in a war for free speech. It's, it's unusual to look out in the marketplace and see who's on either side of this conversation and to listen to them and figure out what their foundation is. What are they coming and where are they coming from? People like Sonny Hostin on The View. I, I just can't believe somebody on that show is actually weighing in regarding anything political because they're all airheads, they're hardcore leftists, and everybody knows they hate conservatism, they hate republics, uh, Republicans and the Republican message. And with this Elon Musk thing coming up, and Elon has made an offer to buy Twitter, the sellers, have, which is the board of directors, they've accepted... Elon's offer, it looks like it's going to happen regarding him taking over, but of course there's the regulation, regulators, that he has to get the go-ahead-and-go thing. Nobody knows how long that's going to take, but figuring it out, it's going to happen, and these people are going absolutely nuts. So in the wake of this pending sale and the formation of this disinformation governance board, Time Magazine, National correspondent named Charlotte Alter, A-L-T-E-R. Never heard of her. They've dismissed the fight for free speech in America, and they're calling it nothing but a big tech obsession and fears tech titans such as Elon Musk view the liberal consensus on acceptable speech as an opportunity to break some dangerous boundaries. Oh, he's going out there tearing down some fences. Here's what she said in the article. In a culture that places a premium on achieving the impossible, some tech titans may also see the liberal consensus on acceptable speech as yet another boundary to break. As she wrote, this was published on Friday in Time. In Silicon Valley, she said, bucking the liberal conventions about harmful speech can seem like a maverick move. 
She opened up the article. She tried to calculate the price of free speech. And she made a suggestion. Elon Musk could have spent his billions on pursuits nobler than that of allowing people of all political persuasions and ideologies to express their beliefs. Wait a minute. Did you hear that? She wants him, instead of buying Twitter, he should pursue more noble things than that of allowing people of all political persuasions and ideologists to express their beliefs. I don't, I don't understand where she's coming from, but I know where she's coming from. In other words, uh, there's no need to go after trying to um, make sure everybody gets free speech and they're not, uh, they're not edited and big tech doesn't shut them down and they don't get their accounts. There's something better he could do than that. Like that's no big deal. They say something is worth what someone will pay for it, she said. If that's true, then protecting free speech, which Elon has cited as a central reason he agreed to spend $44 billion this week, that may be worth twice as much as solving America's homelessness problem and seven times as much as solving world hunger. It's worth more to him at least than educating every child in nearly 50 countries, more than the GDP of Serbia, Jordan, or Paraguay. In other words, she's throwing rocks at Elon for daring to spend $44 billion to buy Twitter when he could be doing something more nobler with his money, according to her now. That's the way they all feel. Elon Musk tweeted this out. Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I also want to make Twitter better than ever be by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. She didn't like that. She cited some other tweets from Musk in her quest to, she said, understand why someone like him would care about the First Amendment. In the days since Musk agreed to terms on a deal to take Twitter private, nearly all of his tweets have been about freedom and censorship on the platform, she said. Why does Musk care so much about this? Why would a guy who has pushed the boundaries of electric vehicle manufacturing and plumbed the limits of commercial spaceflight care about who can say what on Twitter? Freedom of speech has become a paramount concern of the techno-moral universe. This is her conclusion. The techno moral universe. She then quoted Fred Turner, who's a Stanford University professor of communication, who says without any evidence that free speech seems to be much more of an obsession among men. That must be at least part of the mystery behind this. All of a sudden, there's a big push to protect free speech. Business itself may be part of the motivation. She's going down every rabbit trail that she can think of coming up with her 
this is she has no intent to try to muddle through and get the real reasons. She knows the real reasons Elon Musk is buying Twitter, but they don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit that big tech censors Americans' free speech. They all do. Every one of them. Name me one that does not. Free speech in the 21st century means something very different than it did in the 18th when the founders enshrined it in the constitutions, he said. The right to say what you want without being in prison is not the same as the right to broadcast this information to millions of people on a corporate platform. This nuance, she stated, seems to be lost on some techno-wizards who see any restriction as the enemy of innovation. Let me just back out of this and end this conversation today about this. There is, and we shouldn't be surprised it's happening, but there is a coordinated, planned, documented, broad move to squash any of these pushes for free speech. And the fundamental premise is, hey, Free speech comes with responsibility. You can't do an okay hate speech. You just can't do it. You can't just let lies be published on social media and in news media for that matter. You just can't allow that to happen. That creates all kinds of problems in our society that are unnecessary. They're they're against freedom. We can't do that. We've got to protect everybody from people that want to say bad things. They're doing everything they can do to push back, to make a certain segment of our society lash out in unison against what's happening. They don't want it to look like it's the government that's doing it because that would be too obvious, right? So what they want to do, they get a woman from time to write this hit piece against Elon Musk. Put that in perspective. This is a a writer that I've never heard of. Her last name's Alder. For Time, which has basically lost its platform, for years, decades, Time Magazine was a mainstay of media in the United States. It's nothing now. But she's writing, and she writes a hit piece against Elon Musk and anybody that thinks we need to protect the First Amendment. Musk and his fellow tech billionaires simply don't have the education to understand the implications of allowing people to speak their minds. Can you believe she said that? She said tech titans often have a different understanding of speech than the rest of the world because most trained as engineers, not as writers or readers. Not as writers or readers. A lack of humanities education might make them less attuned to the social and political nuances of speech. And of course, the Twitter world went crazy against her, and I'm, I'm glad that did. I'm glad that happened. They're just calling somebody out for what they say. 
That whole process is free speech. Free speech doesn't mean somebody's got to police it to keep it free. That's not what it's about. It's to leave it alone. In the real world, folks, people can and do say things that I don't like. I'm sure if you're honest, you'll say the same thing. But because I don't like it, or I may even think that it's not right what they say, is there anybody on earth that should have an arbitrary power and ability and a green light to go after them because they said something that I term as disinformation? That is the exact opposite of free speech. We've seen this whole thing play out on the world stage numerous times in history. And it always goes to one place and one place only. Totalitarianism. In other words, we control everything. If you say something and we don't like it, we control what happens to you, but we guarantee you something will happen to you because you violated you're, what you're saying is disinformation, and we don't allow that in this world. Don't look down your nose at anybody that pushes back at this. They've got it right. We need to wake up and pay attention because if we don't, if we don't, folks, we're going to find ourselves in a book that Sounds a lot like 1984 that was written in the 50s. (laughs) And the forecast was exactly, almost to a T, what we are experiencing here in the United States today. Enough for free speech. Enough for all that disinformation stuff. We've got bigger fish to fry. Kind of like our illegal immigration system. And oh, by the way, this is another little thing that's happening on Alejandro Mayorkas's watch. Let's summarize where we are now when we're breathlessly waiting for Joe Biden to terminate Title 42. Well, he can't do that, we're told. Title 42, it's not a government thing. It's a health thing. Therefore, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, they're the ones that are going to pull the switch on this. Well, we're the ones that are going to pay the price for whatever they do or they don't do. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, we have a number of colleagues coming today, and I'm, I'm pleased to say that there is a lot of interest uh, in this issue because it's, it's so important right now. We already have a crisis at the border. Everybody knows that. That crisis threatens to become a catastrophe. So last year, about a million people uh, came into our country, mostly under the asylum system. So they came to the border unlawfully, allowed to come into the country. This year, we are on track to have a lot more. We don't have the final numbers yet, but probably it'll be between 1.5 and 2 million people. So it's already at crisis levels. And when you talk to the Border Patrol, they will tell you it's very difficult for them to deal with the current flow. We also know that along with people coming over our border in unprecedented numbers, we have an unprecedented amount of illegal drugs coming into the country, particularly the synthetic opioid called fentanyl. Those numbers are at historic levels and unfortunately are resulting in overdoses and overdose deaths in this country at historic levels. So in my home state of Ohio, as an example, uh, we have a increasingly large number of people who are 
overdosing and dying from fentanyl. I was at a drug coalition meeting a few days ago in Ohio, and I asked whether the national statistics, which say that two-thirds of the people who overdose and die are dying from fentanyl, is accurate, and at least in the Toledo, Ohio area, they told me, no, it's more like 80 or 90 percent. This fentanyl is coming in uh, primarily from the southern border. So it's an immigration issue, it's, an, it's a humanitarian issue, uh, it's a safety issue, and it's certainly an issue of uh, illegal drugs with a devastating impact on our communities. We're here to talk about the possibility of it getting even worse, which is because the public health authority called Title 42 uh, may well expire. The administration, as you know, has supported having it expire next month. Uh, the Border Patrol, again, have said in no uncertain terms to all of us, and I hope to many of you, that should that happen, they will lose operational control of the border. Right now, there are about 8,000 people a day coming through the border. Uh, they believe that if Title 42 is revoked, that that number will increase dramatically. The Department of Homeland Security has told us privately that they think that's between 12,000 and 18,000 people a day. So uh, this is just impossible for uh, the Border Patrol to handle. The Title 42 issue, to set the stage here for my colleagues and, and their remarks, is in litigation. There's a judge in Louisiana who has said that the administration cannot simply revoke this, uh, but they have not set a date as to what might be the appropriate time frame, uh, if there is one. So there's a lot of uncertainty right now, certainly. But we have to presume that the administration uh, may be successful here, and that means Title 42 would come to an end. Roughly half of the people who come to the border are turned away under Title 42. Roughly half. So the million people a year is really two million people a year. About a million are turned back under Title 42. Uh, we also know that the Public Health Emergency and the National Emergencies Act uh, are continuing in place indefinitely. So there seems to be a real disconnect between what's happening with regard to Title 42 on the one hand and the public health emergencies on the other hand. This is uh, a situation that, again, is already a crisis, already something that we cannot handle with current resources. Yesterday, we had a conference call uh, with the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, in which he laid out a potential plan um, should Title 42 be revoked. It sounds a lot like the plan currently in place, which is um, simply to expedite people coming through the process. Uh, no plan to put in place the kinds of things that were in place during the Trump administration to try to deal with the border crisis, including the Remain in Mexico policy, the expedited removals, uh, the notion that uh, with regard to asylum, there would be um, more scrutiny earlier in the process, but instead just coming up with a way to provide more resources to move people through the system more quickly. So in effect, to, um, to make it easier for people to get from the border uh, into the interior of the country. So that was disappointing. That was disappointing. I think that's the understatement of the week, maybe the year. You do the math. It's simple. They say six to 18,000. That's the range. Now you go somewhere in the middle, say 14,000 a day. You're looking at half a million a month, half a million a month, six million a year. Think about what has already happened. Do you realize since Joe Biden's been elected, 
on his watch and that of Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, on their collective watch, they have let into the nation more people that live in the state of North Dakota. You know how big Houston is? It's, it just it spreads all over. I mean, from one side of Houston to get to the other, depending on traffic, it'll take an hour to get there. It's really big. Joe Biden let enough people into the nation in his first year as president to create another Houston with the same number of people living in it. Where are, those, where are all these immigrants going? Well, they're injecting them into the societies of these towns and cities around the nation. Now, that sounds so noble, but when they're injecting all of these people, most of who they have no idea who they are, where they really came from, what their real intentions are being here, we know there have been a number of terrorists on the terrorist watch list that are numbered among these people. We know that. And I keep going back to this one statistic that just blows my mind. In a two-year period, Texas alone dealt with 600,000 criminal charges against illegal immigrants that came into their state over a two-year period. 600,000. Now, you do the math. You had 600,000 criminal acts committed against Texans by how many people? It takes a lot of people because everyone that come is not a criminal. There are some really good people that number among these, but our processes do nothing to weed out the bad, nothing whatsoever. And of those 600,000, 40 of them were murders. Now think about that. In our city here in northwest Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana, it is a predominantly black city now. And there are neighborhoods that are safe and there are neighborhoods that aren't safe. We have gang problems here. There's no question about it. In one of the nicer parts of Shreveport, one of the the areas in which homes were built in the 50s, large homes, formerly the very wealthy people in Shreveport lived in this area of town. And Shreveport's a town of about 150,000. It's not a big place. Um that whole section has now become a place where young people just getting married, college people, they have good jobs, and they they like these houses because they're well-built, and typically what they like to do is go in and do a remodel on some of these older houses, and it's a really nice neighborhood. It's called South Highlands. Yesterday, a 14-year-old girl was at her grandmother's house, sitting on a sofa in the living room. And two cars of African-American guys that, for whatever reason or reasons, they were mad at each other, driving around the city just shooting at each other. One of those bullets in this nice neighborhood killed that 14-year-old girl. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Now, what what are the stories about the... Guys in the car, I don't have any idea. But I'm telling you, we have enough crime, way more crime that can be handled 
by our current police force. And we told you about what happened in Portland over the weekend. It was Antifa. They went after a free speech rally, and the rally was to push for Portland to refund the police. Is there any hate speech in what happened there? I just thought of that. I thought I'd throw that in. We're in a bad spot, folks. We don't need to continue every day to add more fuel to the fires that we can't control now, yet alone think about putting them out. And we have people in government like Alejandro Mayorkas. He never proposes any solutions for anything. He always tries to convince the questioner, whoever it is, if it's a member of the House, a member of the Senate, or somebody in the media, Dana Bash, she did a great job from CNN over the weekend when she pushed him. But nobody ever pushes Mayorkas hard enough to get any real answers. Oh, we're preparing for this. We're preparing for that. He never says what they're doing to prepare for. We've given you little bits of three different perspectives from writers this morning. Every one of them asked specific questions. Not one got an answer. Just remember this. Law enforcement is not working right now on a national level. We can't give you a answer. There are thousands of answers because each state, each city, each town has its own issues. But there is no overarching trust in law enforcement in the United States, and that was a purposeful thing. That for three years was pushed by big, big, big far-left money pouring money into this defund the police thing. And lawlessness just spiked. And it looked like, hey, 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 there's somebody out there with big money that likes the fact that lawlessness, when it when it exists and it grows, it scares people and it gives a way to control the populace. And look what's happening now. A 14-year-old girl innocently sitting on a sofa at her grandmother's house, she's killed, shot and killed, just because some thugs are driving around mad at each other. I'm sure it's gang-related. And people like Mayorkas and others, they wonder why Americans are so strongly supportive. We talked about the First Amendment. What about the Second Amendment? Well, if we had gun control, those guys wouldn't have had those guns. If those guns were bought legally, they would have gone through a background test. I will bet you, and I'm going to do my best to find out, the guns that they were shooting because they had thousands of gun casings that they found. They found the guns. I'll bet you every one of them is an illegal gun. Gun control will not stop that. And these idiots, these... These people that push for that, they have no idea what they're talking about. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Duncan is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Duncan with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Duncan. 
Sip into the fall season with the new Pumpkin Cream Cold Brew or Pumpkin Spice Signature Latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a... Swing! <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. You're standing against the tide of creeping insanity. One truth at a time. TNN. The Truth News Network. We were talking about what happened up in Portland. Let me give you the details. And this this is really crazy, what, what I'm about to tell you, how this came out. The Portland Police Bureau, remember those are the ones that uh, uh, they just got shelled a year ago and a bunch of them lost their jobs. They can't get enough police officers there. Nobody wants to work there, yada, yada, yada. Well, when the call came in about this, event that happened on Saturday. It took them more than 20 minutes to respond when Antifa members assaulted a campaign event that was a block away from the downtown police headquarters. By the time officers had what they deemed sufficient resources to establish a crime scene near Southwest 3rd and Main, the black-clad demonstrators had already dispersed after throwing smoke grenades, paint-filled balloons, fireworks, according to the police. Two were injured by mortars. The protesters' violence cut short the event in support of Republican gubernatorial candidate Stan Pulliam. His platform includes refunding the police. This is what happens when a Republican dares to hold an event in Portland and talks about funding our police. Antifa shows up. That's a tweet from Pullian, and he included some footage of the incident that happened. He claimed the underfunded police didn't show up in time to allow free speech to happen. So when he was talking to media after this whole thing blew over, Pulliam said what he and his supporters experienced is what neighbors throughout the Portland community have to experience on almost a daily basis. We call the cops. We call 911, he said. In fact, at the Justice Peace Center, we were just outside of their headquarters, sat on hold for over 20 minutes. No police officers ever arrived until the very end, just to take our statements. He contrasted that when Portland had 30 officers per 100,000 people back in the 70s to the present 
day ratio of eight people to 100,000. And of course, the police there, they issued a statement that confirmed that while a sergeant began monitoring the situation, gathering available resources, there were only a few officers available in the precinct that day. This all came as the police bureau released a separate statement describing Friday night into Saturday as an extraordinarily busy evening of significant events that strained their resources. It wasn't a bad night. The night included five shootings, three serious crashes, one stolen ambulance within a 12-hour span. Just another day in Portland. Antifa, have you ever heard any disinformation claims about them? Now, wait a minute. They're white. Are they white supremacists? I mean, now, the left, they got to put a label on anybody and everybody, especially those that are on the other side of the aisle that are conservatives in any way, whether they're Republican or not, it doesn't matter. They're conservatives. They're evil. And if they're white, they're definitely, they have to be white supremacists. And as Alejandro Mayorkas has said several times, they're looking at, as did FBI Director Christopher Wray, number one threat in America today is domestic terrorism, but they won't give us any facts. They won't tell us who who is con, uh, putting together the conglomerate that they call and they make the number one enemy of the nation in law enforcement, domestic terrorism. Who's doing that? I mean, is what Antifa did Saturday in Portland? Is that domestic terrorism? There were shootings. Nobody got hit, thankfully. All substance. Absolutely no substance. No substance. All symbolism. Symbolism and no substance. And what's that old saying I brought back from a men's rally five years ago, six years ago, out in New Mexico? Nothing changes if nothing changes. You don't like the present circumstances? We'll figure out what's making those present circumstances happen and go change the circumstances, the causes. If you don't change those, you're not going to get any change in anything else. Some upsetting news, concerning at least, came out over the weekend about COVID-19. Some viruses, including COVID, after their initial infection, they kind of go to sleep in the body for sometimes a lifetime. And they later may reactivate to cause infection again or some other different conditions. You remember when you had, uh, what was it? You had the mumps. Um, you had chicken pox. Chicken pox is the really bad one. It's a virus, folks. Everybody who had chicken pox when you were a kid, you know, you had the shots and all that, but you still got chicken pox. If you've had that, you have in you for the rest of your life the virus that causes shingles because it's the same virus that causes chickenpox. Some of those, they may stay in your body for a lifetime. They may reactivate to cause infection again or some other kind of condition. They may never come up. These kinds of viruses are being reactivated in a large number of people 
following their booster COVID-19 shots, causing symptoms of what they're calling now long COVID and other health conditions. Long COVID is where people are experiencing ongoing, recurring, or new health problems weeks to months after first getting COVID-19. Symptoms may include brain fog, fatigue, chest pain, insomnia. So in my clinic right now, this is a doctor speaking, I'm seeing three to five people a week because they know I'm taking a lot of time in my practice to do COVID. They're coming to see me with long COVID and with problems after the vaccine. That's from an ophthalmologist. Hmm. He's a drug design and treatment specialist and co-founder of the International Alliance of Physicians and Medical Scientists. He said, what I'm finding is a huge number of them having reactivated Epstein-Barr herpes simplex, herpes zosters, and CMV. So of the more than 100 species of herpes viruses, eight are known to infect humans and remain in the body for life. Epstein-Barr is a common virus. It causes infectious mononucleosis. It's associated with other types of cancer and multiple sclerosis. Zoster, varicella zoster virus, is another common virus. It causes chickenpox, and when it reactivates, it causes shingles in adults. Herpes simplex virus types 1 and 2 cause oral and or genital herpes, and it is estimated 67%, that's 3.7 billion people in the world, who are under the age of 50 or infected with herpes simplex virus 1, whereas 13% globally have the other one, herpes simplex 2. CMV, which is cytomegalovirus, is a common virus that infects people of all ages. You get symptoms of fever, sore throat, swollen glands, and get really tired fatigued. It can also occasionally cause mono. Human herpes virus 6 and human herpes virus 7 cause roseola, which is a mild infection, occurs mostly in children between the ages of 6 months to 2. Kaposi sarcoma-associated herpes virus infects the endothelial cells that line lymphatic and blood vessels, which can become cancer, and that disease is known as Kaposi's sarcoma. Now, why are we bringing this up? We're just telling you it's interesting as we follow through the life, and we all are part of it, the life of COVID-19 and our pandemic era. Every day almost, it seems like we're finding out more evil that has come from the vaccines and their adverse reactions that people have in the millions around the world. Not from COVID-19, but from the vaccines themselves. If you have been vaccinated, I urge you to be cautious, get your regular checkups with your physician, and when you start having strange symptoms of something that you've never, you've never felt or you don't know anything about, make sure you talk to your physician as soon as it begins to happen. Some of this stuff, folks, if it's caught early, it can be handled. Some of it, we're seeing if they find out late, It's entrenched in these people's bodies. There's nothing that can be done. Just be careful. 
I thought I'd throw that in just because it's something new that came out about COVID-19 and the related vaccines. Well, what about Chicago over the weekend? I mean, we kind of troll them every Monday. We talk about how many people got shot, how many people died over the weekend. Not doing that today, but we are talking a little bit about crime in Chicago. Guess what folks that got money up there are doing? In the suburbs, people with bucks are hiring private security details of armed off-duty cops. What are they doing? They're patrolling their streets. Crime is up 86% in some of these neighborhoods. Five neighborhoods in north of downtown Chicago have hired or plan to hire patrols in those neighborhoods are Lincoln Park, Bucktown, and Lakeview. The patrols consist of off-duty cops. They're in cars in these neighborhoods and marked cars equipped with advanced surveillance and communication stuff. They're contracted out by private security companies such as P4 Security Solutions or United Security, companies which are usually hired out to guard malls and businesses but have seen skyrocketing requests for their services. It's crime, a guy named Sean Meehan said, director of sales and marketing. Straight up crime. He's talking to the Wall Street Journal. P4 Security put data together from the Chicago Police Department shows a 30% spike in crime in Bucktown this year, 2022, compared to the same period just a year ago, and an increase of 47, between 47 and 86% in two nearby neighborhoods. One Bucktown resident, 34-year-old Josh Lane, he told the Wall Street Journal about how he was attacked by two guys toting a fake gun while he was walking his dog last summer. It's a little like a dystopian sci-fi movie when you see flashing green lights go by. Shortly after he was attacked, his Bucktown neighborhood set up an association to organize the hiring and payment of patrols. One section of Lincoln Park sought 175 grand in donations from residents. That was to hire a year's worth of security services. This is not supposed to happen. This is not supposed to be necessary. This is something we all pay taxes, federal, state, and local, and a big chunk of it goes for the police, law enforcement. The problem isn't the cops in Chicago. Look at the crime in L.A. The problem's not the cops in Los Angeles, Houston, Atlanta, San Francisco, Chicago, Philadelphia, Baltimore. It's not the cops. It's this attitude that has been permeating these big cities especially, anti-cop narrative. And so what's happening? Cops are being hesitant. When they go to get themselves in an alleged criminal act and criminal activity is called in, 911, and they're dispatched, they're being very hesitant when they get there. And by the way, there are fewer police that are trained in that kind of stuff that are able to be called when the 911 call comes in. They're fighting for police personnel and can't get them. Chicago, 
that's just one more problem. That one neighborhood having to raise $175,000 just to have off-duty cops in cars driving their streets, making it appear that law enforcement is back in business in Chicago when it's really not. It's really not. Wow. Mondays are so full. I'm trying to find the most important things. We've got enough content today for two shows. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. We get, we get stuck in uh, only talking about bad things. And we just want to make sure you know about them. Some of it directly impacts you. But at the 10,000-foot level in the United States, everything that happens anywhere is and should be important to us. Victor David, David Hansen, you know him. He, uh, he publishes sometimes stories here on truthnewsnet.org. Uh, we've had his sound bites on here before. He's a great writer. I love the stuff that he writes. I love his perspective. And I love it when I catch him on one of these talk shows. He's on Fox News a lot, but of late he's been on a bunch of other programs. And he just feeds the narrative, typically a totally different perspective on things that we've come up with this normalized process and we just kind of locked it into our psyche. Anytime it comes up, we just have it figured out. This is what we know about it, so this has got to be factual. So over the weekend, he appeared on a show and they were talking about how all of this stuff that's happening in the current administration the pieces don't fit together. They do things that don't make any sense. Nobody can understand it. And he weighed in for the justification for it and why it is happening, happening now like it never happened before. Well, it's not because, Tucker, they found a new agenda, this new socialist agenda that was so popular. I think what happened is the first thing, they, the Democratic Party became wealthy, that bicoastal elite Right. through globalization, got these global markets, and you have a whole professional class that's not subject to any ramifications of these utopian ideas, whether it's climate change or defund the police, and never boomerangs back on them. And then they, they said, well, we don't have the people, but we have the institutions, corporate boardrooms, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, K through 12 academia, so we can influence opinion without having a majority of opinion. And then, of course, they changed the demography. We've had about 40 million people come in the last 40 years. And right now we have 50 million American residents that were not born in the United States. And they feel that the majority of them will be loyal to the Democratic Party that invited them in. And still it's not enough. Still they're looking at a disaster uh, in November. So now they're saying, well, you know what, in good Jacobin or Bolshevik fashion, we've got to re-educate young people, get them while they're young, indoctrinate them. Or they're, and, and so they're trying to do that and they want to change the system. They're saying, well, if we can't indoctrinate them, maybe we can get rid of the filibuster, get rid of the electoral college or pack the court or have a national voting law. But all of this has a common denominator. And that is they are the party of the elite now. They're the party of the wealthy, the party that despises the middle class. And they seek power for an agenda that nobody wants. And they have to have these crises to do it. January 6th or the Ukrainian war, whatever the thing is, they use these levers of influence and power. And it's still, I don't think it's going to be enough. I think they're, they're looking at a landslide 
of rejection in November. And I think that Elon Musk is a precursor, so is the C-SPAN uh, implosion, so is the Disney implosion, so is the Netflix implosion, so is the Virginia election implosion. A lot of indicators, a lot of symptoms that they have a reckoning that's terrifying them. Well, and just in three sentences, do, do you believe that the coming midterms will discredit not just the players, but their ideas as well? Yeah, I think it is because you see, it's not just political. People, as you say, they're not really interested just in the issues. It's existential. They can't find food that they can afford. They can't fill up their car. They don't feel safe when they go into a big city. They don't feel their kids are being educated or they're, or they're being propagandized. So it's a 360, 24-7 phenomenon. It's a totalitarian effort. And you, you can see the pushback in social media. You can see it was grassroots school board. It's not just political. They feel their very lives are at stake. It's not going to be sustainable if these people are in control any longer because they don't care. Joe Biden doesn't care about the, the price of gas. Elizabeth Warren doesn't care if people can't afford, you know, plywood at the lumber store. They don't care. Yeah. They're, they're revolutionaries. They're ideologues. Again, they'd rather be wrong uh, and they'd rather lose and be right than be wrong and win. That's how ideological they are. I think you're right. I think that's a really insightful observation. Victor Davis Hanson, thank you very much. What an amazing insight that man has. He was talking about what the changes that have happened. I mean, it's not even, they didn't even try to hide it. They just came out of the closet and said, bam, here's we are. here we are. You've always thought we were hard left. We always told you we were moderate. We're really hard left. And now that we've got the White House and same time we have the House and the Senate, we're going to go hard left and go hard left hard. As he said, Victor Davis Hanson said, they're a party of the elite now. And they're proud of it. They make no bones about it. Well, guess what is going on that hadn't been out in the marketplace? We haven't heard about it. It has to do with the FBI. And it's some bad stuff. Some really bad stuff with the FBI. What could it possibly be? You remember Christopher Ray, FBI director. He's one of those carryovers, and he didn't like Donald Trump. He was pretty much hard in the tank when the Mueller investigation was going on. Why, oh why, Donald Trump made him the FBI director after he fired James Comey? I don't I don't know, but he did. But Ray has been kind of quiet on the most part. But the FBI has been caught up in doing something that is illegal, by the way. And not just in the hundreds not just in the thousands, not even in the hundreds of thousands of times, but millions. And it has to do with you and me. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. 
But act now or later because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price Cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, your place needs furniture. And at this sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people here in America that I just don't have a lot of trust for the FBI. I just I just really don't. And I formerly did. When I was a kid, we lived in South Louisiana, Lafayette, and we moved into a home in a in a, a fairly nice subdivision. It was a bunch of smaller houses that were being built new. We were among the first, I guess, eight or nine or ten houses in there. We bought a small house, three-bedroom, bath and a half. And that's where I grew up uh, from the time that I was six years old until uh, just before my freshman year in high school. One of the guys that lived down the street that was a friend of mine, Ray Williams was his name. His dad was an FBI agent. And I thought it was so cool. And we would get his dad to tell us some stories. And he couldn't tell us a lot because I forget what division of the FBI he was in. But he was he was really into dealing with some bad stuff and some really bad people. But you, in those days, you thought about the FBI agent as somebody that, you know, really got after crime. It was like the local guys, the state troopers, they can't handle the kind of stuff that the FBI comes in and handles. These are the really tough guys, the FBI. Well, things have changed a bit. The FBI, we found out over the weekend, may have conducted as many as three and a half million searches of Americans' electronic data without a single warrant last year. Three and a half million. The Wall Street Journal first cited the number, saying it came from an annual report published by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Now, the report doesn't say that the FBI was illegally or improperly searching Americans' data, but it still could alarm members of Congress over privacy concerns. Here we are. We're talking about free speech. Now we're talking about privacy. We're talking about the FBI. And remember this, the FBI has no authority, none whatsoever, to do what they possibly and probably did. Conducted as many as 3.4 million searches of Americans' electronic data without a war. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, as she always does, she weighs in with some great wisdom. She had not discussed the Wall Street Journal's report with Joe Biden yet. My understanding, she said, is that some of this was about researching and doing an investigation into potential hacking. But I will get you more from the FBI. Hmm. The 3.4 million amount 
is a big number, a senior FBI official said. I'm not going to pretend that it isn't. Senior Biden administration officials said that the actual number of searches is likely far lower than. Why would they give out a number? That's not, you know, 3.4 million. It doesn't sound like it's a number you pulled out of the air. The officials explained there are complexities in sorting American versus foreign individuals' data. Additionally, if somebody's data is searched multiple times, each would count as a search, driving the total number much higher. Thus, the number does not represent the number of individuals that would be impacted by this. Well, let's just say it was only half of it. So it was only 1.7 million. About 2 million of those, they say, were related to a prob a problem into and a subsequent probe of alleged Russian threat to hack into critical infrastructure in the United States. Senior U.S. officials said those searches were to identify and then to protect potential victims of the Russians. Those searches, they say, were permissible due to Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, which was passed back in 1978. Section 702, which is going to expire next way, incidentally, was added to FISA after the September 11, 2001 attacks. It enabled the National Security Agency to collect intelligence from international phone calls and emails and is supposed to target non-U.S. persons living abroad. Friday's report about the FBI marked the first time a U.S. intelligence agency gave account of how much American data the FBI is looking at through Section 702. Big brother. Big brother. I've got a friend. He's not in the FBI, but he is in the government. He lives in New Jersey. He works um, at the bottom of Manhattan. In fact, his home is across the water, right on the shore of New Jersey. He's got a pier in his backyard uh, looking across at Manhattan. And uh, the way we met was kind of strange. I may have told you this story before, but I was in California in a business deal, and things weren't going really good in it, but it, it, was, a, it was a very important business deal, a big deal. And we submitted an offer to an entity that was controlled by a Chinese family, a large Chinese, very well-connected family. And they had a, uh, a person that was managing this particular deal for them. That's who we spoke to. And we provided all our information to them to check us out. And I get a phone call in the middle of, um, I was in a restaurant with some people that were involved in this in Los Angeles. And I get a phone call in the middle of it. And it's a call from these people for me. The lawyer that was representing me was calling me and he had the spokesman for this other operation, had them on the phone. They wanted to tell me they were rejecting us because our proposal They had gotten it from someone else, meaning that we were supposedly out there shopping the deal, which we weren't. And I just, I just fell apart. I was like, come on, man. 
this is the only place we've submitted this. I'm the only person that can do it. And I submitted it this way. It's not been submitted by anybody else. And somebody piped up on the phone call, and it happens to be this guy from up in New Jersey in New York City. I didn't know him at the time. I had heard about him, but I didn't know him. And he intervened by telling these people, listen, please, I did not know Mr. Newman had submitted this package, and I submitted one for him. Please don't dismiss this package because it was sent in error. And they said, well, okay, okay, okay. And that was it. It turns out at the end of the conversation, their spokesman asked me, why didn't you tell us he was on the phone? And I said, why would I tell you he was on the phone? I thought he was on the phone because y'all had him on the phone. He was monitoring my phone calls. Multiple times since then, the same thing has happened just a little bit differently. He's a very well-connected guy in government, and he somehow just decided six, seven, eight years ago he was going to make sure that I didn't get involved in some bad kind of deals. That kind of stuff happens, folks. We just don't know about it. In fact, it, it happened for a while. It happened quite a bit. Uh, my wife, his first name is Joe. My wife would say several times she and I are on the phone and she said, Hey Joe, if you're listening in, I hope you're having a good day. <laughs> That's kind of funny, but it's not funny when you put it in the context of what's happening in our nation today. So let's go back to something we haven't mentioned in a while. Hunter Biden. This thing is it's got legs now, folks. It's interesting to watch the uh, tap dancing that's going to happen. Peter Schweitzer, yeah, I'm sure you've seen him on talk shows. He's an author and investigating guy. I have a lot of confidence in him. He's the author of uh, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. It's his latest book. He warned that the case could be settled outside of court. And we're talking about if there is a Hunter Biden investigation and charges filed. Schweitzer's saying it could be settled outside of court. Nobody would have any public knowledge of it. This is a tailor-made case for an independent counsel. And that this is the whole reason that Schweitzer brought this up. Because if we didn't, Biden could settle it. Nobody would ever know the, the truth. It's an investigation involving the family of the president. The attorney general is, of course, appointed by the president. He's the one who's going to direct this U.S. attorney that has his grand jury in Delaware. So you need an independent counsel. There's a lot of evidence. Some of that money ended up with Joe Biden, he added. The money was fungible. It moved around. It went to James Biden, Joe's brother, and two others. Schweitzer also told Fox News host Mark Levin this weekend, this investigation might find some opposition from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell because of the business interest that McConnell and his wife, former Transportary Secretary Elaine Chao, have abroad. Now, this is an interesting take on this. Let me tell you why. Elaine Chao's family is massive. They're Asian, Southeast Asian, Chinese. They are, in fact, her father is a Chinese tycoon. They're in the transportation business, ships, 
Lots of them, big ships. And there's a lot of contracts and a lot of money there. It's going to be interesting to see how Mitch McConnell, if he remains as the minority leader, which I'm sure he will, how this is going to play out. Hunter Biden, oh my gosh. Now I understand why some species of animals eat their young. Just saying. Well, what about our oil prices? Have you noticed the price at the pump has kind of dropped just a few pennies over the last couple of weeks? Crude oil production in the United States has sharply gone down for three consecutive months, even as demands and prices have remained elevated. Now, why would, why would you think this would happen? The oil industry, they're doing their best to get back into grace and in favor so they can crank it up again. And knowing that and knowing that there's this desperate need in America to get the price of gasoline back down, why would production be lower? Total U.S. oil production decreased about 11 million barrels a day in February. That's down 3.9%. That's down from 11.8 million barrels per day in November. The latest Energy Information Administration data shows that. Between November 1st and February 28th, pump prices increased 6.4% from 3.39 a gallon to 3.61. I was a little bit shocked when I first saw the numbers. That's Dan Kish who's a senior fellow at the Institute for Energy Research. It tells me that President Biden is going to have to work more like the devil in order to increase production. It's a reflection of the fact that the investment climate is awful. Now, you've heard some gripes about this. Now it's not gripes, folks. It's going on right now. Here's why investments are such a big deal about this. Oil basically begins with somebody rolling the dice, leasing some land, and spending a small fortune to bring a drilling rig in to see if there's oil or natural gas underground at this one location. And quite honestly, it's a crapshoot. And it doesn't matter who it is, how good they are, how much success they've had doing it, Pretty much every time you punch a hole, it's a crapshoot. They try to get the odds better than 50-50. And with biological, geological tools and and ways, they can kind of narrow the odds down pretty good sometimes. In fact, in my lifetime, I've been involved in one drilling package with partners. And we drilled six wells on property we were six for six, which is not very common. Um, so what's going on now? These oil companies that normally have groups, they sell packages. You hear them advertised on radio all the time. This new deal going on, and we've got several spots open, and you invest some money. <clears throat> you don't get involved hands-on, but you invest money. They're going to use this money Uh, for the leases, for the drilling process, the whole thing. The Biden administration, since Joe Biden has been elected and people in mass 
they have been lashing out and demeaning these big investment banks, Wall Street banks, that are typically the ones that put these packages together and they get their clients to invest in them. The Biden administration has come out and they have lobbied against these Wall Street banks and these banks are discouraging their clients from investing in oil and natural gas programs. So what does that mean? If they don't have money, this investment money, it's a way the oil and gas industry has worked since it began. If you don't know a lot about it, if you've heard about directional drilling, if you've heard about Haynesville shale, that's one type of really, really deep embedded formations underground that is replete with oil and natural gas, principally natural gas. But because these wells have to be so deep, 13 to 18,000 feet down, it's really expensive, not just to drill it, but to do the fracking underneath in the formations to bring that oil and gas back to the pipeline. It costs a lot. In fact, one of these Haynesville Shell deep rigs drilling projects averages about $15 million a well. But if it comes in, they're going to make a lot of money from it. It's a crapshoot, like I said. Administration officials are suggesting producers are drilling at a historic rate and don't need these additional leases. Production is essentially higher than it's been in a couple of decades. That's according to Deb Howland, Interior Secretary. She said that during a hearing last week. On federal lands, we're doing what we need to do, and we're following the law and making sure that we're moving those issues forward. Kiss said the steep decline in production in 2021 came from the chilling effect of the Biden administration's policy. And since then, the administration has repeatedly pushed an agenda that's hostile to the fossil fuel industry and to those investors. If people invite you to a party, every time you go to their party, somebody throws a drink in your face, you're probably not going to go back to that party anymore, right? Right after taking office, remember he did that executive pause, Biden did, all oil and gas leasing on federal lands. He nixed the Keystone XL pipeline permit, and he said the U.S. must prioritize the development of a clean energy economy. Great concept. Great idea. I wish we had our energy systems worldwide built so there was no emissions that were bad for anybody or anything. But we don't have that. We don't have that. And we can't flip a switch if you don't have something on the other side of the switch to go to. What has Joe Biden done? What has he done to the energy sector? What has he done to the American people? I can't think of a single thing Joe Biden has done, not one, that has been good for average Americans. Not one. He's done some things that have helped some very wealthy people, and he is one of those people. You need to understand he's a multimillionaire now because of opening doors and walking through them as a senator for many years, a vice president for eight years, and now a president for more than a year. 
He's making a lot of money just because of that. Not because of him being a wise investor. It's because of who you know. I don't think the American people like that kind of environment, do you? They want you to get paid because you're good at what you do and you make good investment decisions. Not because somebody came to you and said, hey, Mr. President, we got a real good financial opportunity here. Nancy Pelosi and her husband, Paul, have got filthy rich simply because of her connections as the House Speaker two different times now, and a longtime serving person from California and very connected in the U.S. House of Representatives. There's something wrong about that. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, oh, are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals... Better, here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey, Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep, there's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Talking about energy, clean energy, we never mention, I don't know why we never do, but we never get into it. Nobody brings it up. Nuclear energy is the most, uh, it's the best, the cleanest energy basically that we have access to that has the power to do all the work we have to do. But we don't like nuclear energy, right? It's bad because something can happen. Well, guess who disagrees now? Governor Gavin Newsom. He's going to uh, delay, it looks like, the closure of California's last nuclear plant. Now, why is that? Well, they're facing some very significant electricity shortages. And that means, according to Newsom, the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant might continue operating beyond the planned closing by 2025. I thought that was kind of interesting. Don't you? Uh, You think about it. Uh, Here's one of the environmental guys 
somebody that's got their news and everything. And uh, he knows a lot what's going on, and he's talking about we may need to rethink our closing of nuclear energy. Think our closing of nuclear What happened? Oh my gosh. I just lost you there for a second. I'm sorry. And I want to close with a very interesting story. Elon Musk got a business proposal, a pretty good one. An Austin, Texas area man is offering Tesla a hundred acres of free land. And he's doing it to get Elon Musk to move Twitter to this place in Texas, 38 miles north of Austin. And I guarantee you, <laughs> Elon Musk is considering it. Uh, it looks and sounds like um, maybe a pretty good idea. Hey, listen, we really, really appreciate you joining us here every day. Thank you so much for being here. I know we talk about some negative things. Got to be honest with you. We have negative things in our life, right? But why don't you do this? Relax a little bit today. Just take it one step at a time. It's all going to work out. Don't fret about the things that you have no say-so in changing. Just do your best. Put your best foot forward and find the better things to think about. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Central, right here at TNN Live. So long, everybody. On a Sunday afternoon Really Couldn't get away Imagine anything that is better The world is ours whenever we're together There ain't a place I'd like to be Instead of moving Down a crowded of things that we can see We can't be anyone we'd like to be And all those happy people we could meet Just
days this way We're gonna talk and laugh all the time away, away, away. I feel it coming closer day by day Life would be ecstasy 